This is Making Shift Happen, and I'm your host, Jen Cates. Over the years, I've coached hundreds of clients to find their ideal self through the way they nourish their bodies and minds, and now I'm here to help pass on these same strategies to you. So let's stop the madness and get your results once and for all. Let's go. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to episode 20. Can't believe we made it to episode 20. And the only way I could have made it here is actually with all of you. All of you listening, seriously, it means so much. So this week, because I want to give back a little bit, I'm going to do a, a little Q&A for, for everyone. Instead of the usual long, you know, long format interview, the Q&A is just my opportunity to answer some select questions from you all. If I didn't get to your question, I apologize. Don't worry. I will hold off onto that question answering till next time because I'm sure this will not be the last since I got a boatload of questions this, this week. All right, so let's start. Caroline, she asked, how do you manage training with a sport like mountain biking to make sure you're not overdoing it? This is a really good question. And I actually covered this, I believe in episode six, I'll link it to the show notes, just talking about strength training and, you know, and how to really balance that with your actual physical demands on and off the bike. Uh, it was actually episode seven. I correct myself. And I focused on strength training mostly in that episode, but the big thing is with strength training and for cyclists, especially mountain bikers, try to aim for two times a week for strength training, preferably whole full body, you know, upper, lower to some capacity. Um, and then ride as much as you want. My biggest recommendation is not to work out seven days a week. I cannot tell you how often I have folks come to me and they're, they're wanting to start to work with me and they fill out their intake questionnaire. And I ask them how often they work out every week and they say seven days a week. And unfortunately, well, that's great. And that probably makes them feel good and makes them forget about some things that are going on in their life. The downside is not having a rest day is, is inhibiting your overall performance and it is increasing your risk of overtraining. So just be mindful of that. I do recommend one to two days a week of complete rest. And when I say complete rest, that doesn't mean go, go and swim a thousand meters or go to the track and do an easy jog or anything like that, because that's quote unquote active recovery. No, that is not rest. Resting is you still move around, you still walk around and you're still moving your body in a healthful manner, but you're not purposefully training for something. Okay. So I definitely don't recommend you using your rest days to get in more work because this is when more work is not mo better. It's just not going to be good for you. And in the long run, it will really, really wear you out. So next question, Fez Dango. And actually, before I, before I get to this next question, let me go back to Caroline's question. Listen to your body. Listen to the signals, the signals that your body is giving you. Sex drive, crappy sleep, inability to fall asleep, a higher stress, you're breathing a little bit more in your upper chest instead of down, you know, a little bit lower into your stomach, which is kind of a natural breath for most of us, to be honest. But just things like that, you know, mood changes, um, you're just, you're tired yet wired. Those are all signals that you could be overtraining as well as you're not PRing, you're not performing well. You just feel like your legs are lead. That's a good time to really dial back the intensity, give yourself a deload week, if you haven't scheduled yourself a deload week in a while, guess what? You need to do a deload week. By a deload week, this is when you really 
you try to minimize or lower your volume of working out, uh, whether that's endurance, strength, all the above, by about 50, you know, go down to 50 to 60% of what your normal volume is, okay, in terms of miles, hours of working out, things like that. It's good for you to do that uh, for one week, every Usually, depending on the intensity of your workouts, depending on you know how hard you're hitting it, usually every four to 10 weeks, and I know that's a broad spectrum, but if you're just doing some strength training and you're not really annihilating yourself in the gym, you can kind of push it out to eight to 10 weeks. But if you are a little bit more of a longer distance athlete, then yeah, every four to six weeks is going to be really ideal for you. All right, next question, Fez Tango. What's the best way to stay motivated and in shape when you have some nagging injuries you're trying to heal. For example, sprained ankle and bicep tendonitis. Those are fun. I can still ride my bike. Yay. But I had to ditch the HIIT workouts and lifting. So this is a really good question. And I did, I did cover a little bit about motivation. If you want to hear kind of my side on motivation in episode eight. So I'll link that in the show notes as well. It's about what to do when you're not motivated to train or really do anything. And, but the thing with Fez Tango is, you know, she's injured. She has nagging injuries that is going to be a sign that, you know, there needs to be some care taken there. Uh, whether you might need to just do something a little bit more nutritionally sound, you know, maybe it's increasing your protein a little bit, just making sure you're getting ample protein. I I did cover, you know, how much protein to eat in the protein episode. I guess I can link that in the show notes too, if you want to look at those show notes. Um, but protein's incredibly important just for overall recovery and, you know, uh, helping with injury healing. I hate to use the word healing because that's kind of a who, hooty who uh, word. But you know, it, it is it is important to know how much protein you're getting, especially as an active individual. And you sound incredibly active, especially since you are a cyclist. So the fact that you do have a sprained ankle and bicep tendonitis, think about besides nutrition, think about the things you can do, you are able to do, okay? Even if it is just one-sided stuff. So while you might have bicep tendonitis on one arm, you might not have it on the other. It's perfectly safe to do it for a week or two, you know, exercise the other side of your body. Uh, Sprained ankle, again, you can do single leg work on the other leg. It all just depends on what you have clearance to do and what you're able to do. So stop thinking about what you're not able to do and start thinking about what you are able to do. Fortunately, you you are already in that mindset with you know, recognizing that, Hey, I can still ride my bike, which is great. The fact that you're not doing hit workouts and lifting for maybe a couple of weeks, isn't really going to impact you overall. You know, if anything, I mean, of course, definitely, I hope you're seeing a PT or some sort of, you know, medical professional to get care for the sprained ankle and the bicep tendonitis, because especially now, the current protocol, especially for sprained ankles, is much different now even than it was five to ten years ago. You know, there is this movement to increase movement in the ankle sooner rather than later. They actually want you to do the alphabet with your ankle and things like that, depending on the severity, of course. You know, see a medical practitioner. But, um, you know, seeing a PT that does follow the current philosophy in terms of care for sprained ankles and the bicep tendonitis will get you feeling better sooner. You know, I had a grade two, just as an example, I had a grade two sprain, uh, I guess it was five or six years ago. I don't know. I tried to block it, block it out. Um, I like fell down the stairs for the first time, skipped like three stairs completely, landed right on my, my ankle. And, uh, I thought I broke it at first. And I was actually on my way to see my chiropractor who's a sports chiropractor. And he's actually one of the sports docs for, 
one of the local lacrosse teams here in Denver. And as you can imagine, you know, working for a lacrosse team, he does treat a lot, a lot of sprained ankles. It's very much like soccer players, right? So went and actually saw him hobbled into his office and uh, he did some grass in and things like that. But he immediately started to move my ankle and he said, look, you know, I don't think anything's broken. There's no signs of break or a fracture rather, and do this, you know, go ahead and start moving the ankle. And I was like, what? You want me to like hike tomorrow and everything? And honestly, it, it made it a lot better. That was perhaps the fastest I've ever healed from uh, an ankle sprain by any means. And it was a, it was a pretty significant ankle, stra- ankle sprain rather. It wasn't grade three, but still it was pretty significant. Uh, but yeah, if you're already seeing someone, you know, kudos to you. But I do recommend, you know, trying to think about what you're able to do. And the fact that you're not able to do any hit for, you know, a handful of weeks is not really going to impact your overall strength that significantly, maybe 10 to 20% if even. So just stay active, ride your bike, have fun. All right. Uh, All right. Next question. Stripes Tiger Club. Annie, when does it make sense to do anaerobic exercises and what's the benefit to them? This is a great question. So anaerobic workouts are exactly what it sounds like anaerobic. So without oxygen, they're workouts that more or less help increase your fast twitch muscle, like overall size, overall number of muscle. Uh, it can also improve your muscular power, which is really good, especially as cyclists can also increase your overall strength too. Now, the key here though, is anaerobic exercise also helps to build your tolerance as an athlete to the buildup of lactic acid and lactic acid can cause, you know, fatigue, basically lactate, I should say, not lactic acid. Uh, it causes fatigue and by incorporating anaerobic exercises, it helps build that tolerance to that level of fatigue, that feeling of fatigue, that leg burn, arm burn, things like that. So overall it can improve your muscular endurance, which is great. And I mean, all athletes really should be doing some level of anaerobic workouts, regardless of what their goals are, just because it does help with, you know, offsetting fatigue and also increasing your ability to recover from intense bouts of movement. So, you know, case in point, I know you're a mountain biker, so I'm going to use this as an example. When you're doing incredible like sprints uphill, you know, or you're really trying to get to the top of the hill, say you're trying to actually summit, you know how it is like the false summit at Lair of the Bear or other other trails maybe in your area. You're trying to, you know, get to the top of that summit and maybe you're getting out of your saddle. You're doing a nice little sprint for 10 to 30 seconds. The feeling that you feel afterwards when your legs feel like lead and you just feel the burn and all of this stuff. By doing anaerobic exercises, you're actually helping build your tolerance to that feeling, which is great because especially if you are training for a race, even if you're not, being able to work without oxygen really helps you, you know, helps your body adapt basically. And it helps that burn become a little bit more tolerate, tolerable rather. And, um, you know, honestly, it just helps you push a little bit more and, how many times a week you do it really depends on your schedule, of course. At least once a week would be ideal, but twice a week is even better. And what's cool is you don't necessarily have to do HIT or any type of workouts like that. I think a lot of folks assume that you have to do HIT in order to be anaerobic, and that's that's not completely correct. You can even do anaerobic anaerobic exercises with lifting. So even with strength strength. Can't talk right now. Even with strength exercises, <laughs> I almost did it again. Uh, 
you know, especially if the strength workouts are getting a little bit more intense or higher reps, but still a fairly moderate weight. So you are building that tolerance to that actual movement. So hopefully that helps, but I usually recommend once to two, two times a week, any type of intervals are really great or any type of strength workout that can actually, you know, utilize that, that type of energy system. Okay. Annie from Alpine CrossFit, one of my favorite humans. How do you prep your gut for long races, specifically for a five plus hour time domain? Uh, so I reach out to Annie just to get a little bit more clarity on this. And um, and she does have a few races coming up, mountain biking races to be to be specific for those of you listening. So it's really important for her, you know, to be able to get her gut to tolerate carbohydrates. Right now, you know, she did get a little bit more, give me a little bit more clarity on what she's consuming. As of right now, she's consuming a little bit more goos and just sweeter types of things. So Gatorade and goos. And while those are great, and I definitely applaud, applaud her for, you know, incorporating those into her diet right now, they can only be tolerated by so many people. And this is nothing against them. It's just the mechanism of what, of what they're made out of, you know, and, um, certain sugars that are in these goos and other like quick gels and sports drinks and things like that can aggravate your gut and can basically give you some GI issues, which GI issues, (laughs) no one wants the poopy pants when they're lining up for a race. And yes, I just had poopy pants, uh, because I think we can all, you know, relate to that. And it's not an enjoyable feeling, whether you're at the the start line, towing the start line or not, like no one wants the poopies. (laughs) So definitely try to avoid that at all costs. So there's a couple of tips here that they taught us in some nutrition classes that I've, I've taken, as well as some of the RDs that are in my network. They really tout this. And the one tip is for any sports drinks and goos, first of all, try to swish the, the liquid or the substance around it in your mouth a little bit before you swallow it. Because what we have a tendency as humans to do, because, hey, we're in a hurry, especially if it's race day, we're trying to chug that energy down, right? So what you want to actually do is you know, sip on the goose, sip on the drink and swish it around in your mouth. And the reason for that is because that sugary substance will stimulate your mouth, will stimulate saliva in your mouth. And that is actually where digestion starts, not to gross you out or anything, but digestion does start in your mouth when you're masticating or when you're chewing up your food or, you know, when you're generating the saliva, which chewing, the act of chewing does generate saliva or it helps to trigger that, that mechanism to help your body you know, release saliva and the saliva will actually help break down those sugary substances before you consume that, before you actually swallow them. So that's the first step, especially if you do already like goo and Gatorade, that's the first thing, swish, chew, even if you're not necessarily chewing, even just for a few seconds, that can really help stimulate the saliva to help, you know, increase the digestion and also decrease your stomach woes your poopy pants. Uh, the other thing that I really recommend is especially right now, before the races start, get dialed in with your training food. So during training, that's when you should not only be training your body, but you should be training your gut and sampling other foods. So maybe you might benefit from something that has a little bit more substance. I know for me, I eat Enduro bites. I like them. I like them a lot. I also really like Stroop waffles. Uh, what else do I eat? I do eat those uh, little scratch drops, 
those are tasty. Um, really, you know, a variety of foods, it just depends on how sweet I want the substance that I'm eating and how intense I'm working. That dictates how sweet I want the substance. So the more intense my workout or the more intense my climbing or whatever it is that I'm doing, the sweeter the substance is that I'm going to want, but I can't just rely on only sweet substances for endlessly, you know, for hours on end. So I need to mix in real food like Enduro Bites, you know, look at the nutrition label. They have amazing ingredients, all natural ingredients. It's basically a really good bar for you to have that is real food and real ingredients. And it doesn't bother, you know, gut really. It doesn't bother my gut anyways. I know we're all individual, but give them a try. I really recommend them. Um, actually I have a, I have a discount code. I need to share that more often. I'll, I'll put that in the show notes and you know, you basically get a percentage off your first order online. They're a really good company. I've done some work with them before. I've done some smoothie, you know, recipes and, and video and Brian who owns the company is just a phenomenal human being. Shout out to Brian, but you know, they make, they just make really good food. I like it. You know, it doesn't upset my stomach. And what's cool about it is anecdotally speaking, a lot of athletes that I've talked to, you know, over the past couple of years, including myself, who can tend to be a little bit hypoglycemic, they tend to help stabilize that blood sugar a little bit. So you want to find some foods that really help you stabilize that blood sugar. And sometimes that will include having just a tiny bit of fiber in the food. And we're talking like a tiny bit, like Enduro Bites, I think they have one to two grams of fiber per serving. So it's just enough, you know, to kind of balance it out because it is a nice balance of carbs with just a smidge of protein, like tiny, tiny bit of protein, tiny bit of fiber. So it kind of helps slow down the carbohydrate. So that's the other thing is maybe looking at, you know, this is for Annie, maybe looking at the sweetness of your food and just balancing it out with some real food. Other option is to make something, um, like made from rice. Rice usually is well tolerated by most people better than usually oat, oat balls or something like that. But there are recipes, you know, on Pinterest and things like that for, you know, oat balls, uh, rice cakes. The rice cakes are really good. You can make them at home made from sushi rice or whatever really rice you want. But sushi rice is really good, especially if you add some salt to it. Uh, there is a whole recipe book on them called portables. I really recommend looking at that portables recipe book. If you have time to make the, the portables or make the little rice cakes, because you know, not everyone has that time. And that's when I really recommend, yeah, definitely use the Enduro bites as a backup, but I do recommend also having like some really good solid go-to foods for me. If you know me and you've ever ridden with me, my nickname is pocket pancake. And it is pocket pancake for a reason, because I always usually carry around about four to five extra pancakes in my, in my backpack. That is the one snack you will never get from me. (laughs) I mean, maybe if you're having like an emergency and you're like hypoglycemic, but you will have to peel it out of my hands (laughs) because, uh, I just love them. They, they work well for me. And what I do is it's, Kodiak cake mix, which does have protein in it. It's the power cakes mix. It's not gluten-free though. They do have a gluten-free option if you are gluten-free, but I use that mix, add some water, add some dark chocolate chips. They're kind of like bittersweet chocolate chips. And then I add some blueberries and that's it. Mix them up. I kind of make them a little fluffy. They do get a little bit smashed in my bag, but they're tolerated really well. If I know I'm going out for quite a few miles, like maybe 20 plus miles or so, then I'm going to, you know, mountain biking, road riding is a completely different ball 
ball game. So road riding, like if I'm going out for like 30 to 50 miles, I'll put a little bit of maple syrup in between each pancake and kind of smoosh it. And then I have a pancake sandwich. It's, it's amazing. Everyone usually, um, oogles my pancakes while I, while I bust them out on the trail. So just a tip, but yeah, Annie practice now do it during training. Don't wait till a race day to figure out what to eat. All right. Bad Ash and Juno, AKA Ashley. <laughs> she asked any tips for harnessing competitiveness for good while avoiding comparison anxiety. So let's talk about comparison anxiety. Hopefully I'm, I'm hopefully I'm interpreting this Ashley as you comparing yourself to other athletes that are out on the field. And I will go ahead and say, As an athlete, the last thing you want to be doing is comparing yourself to another athlete. Sure, you can admire their abilities. Sure, you can admire them them from afar, but don't compare your situation to theirs. You don't know what their work situation is. You don't know if they have kids. You don't know what their sleep was this past week. You don't know what their, hell, their hormonal profile is. Like, you don't know anything about them. You don't know if they're battling cancer. I mean, there are crazy wicked good athletes that I've uh, competed against over the years that have actually been battling cancer at the time of race day. And you don't really know what their story is, just like they don't know what your story is. So the one of the worst things you can do is compare your current abilities to someone else that you don't know anything about. You don't know the context of their situation. Okay. So I know it's easier said than done. But just try to remind yourself that, hey, we're all lining up on race day or training day from a different life, from a different perspective, from a different background. And we ultimately can't compare ourselves to one another. I mean, sure we can, but do I recommend it? No, not really, because it's just going to put you into this comparison hole. And that's just nowhere to be. It's just not a fun place to be. Um... So first of all, remember that you all are coming from a different place. I mean, hell, you don't even know if the athlete next to you, if they're a menstruating individual, you don't even know if it's, it's their time of the month, uh, versus, you know, your time of the month. And that can change their tolerance to heat that can change their tolerance to just activity, mood, energy, things like that. So something to kind of gently keep yourself in check about, okay. You're all lining up as different individual humans. Now, harnessing your competitiveness for good. I think it's ultimately just a matter of remembering that, Hey, I'm here. I'm ready. I've trained for this, but I also want to have fun. Yeah. I might want to annihilate myself in the process, you know, especially given Ashley, I know, you know, some of your goals, which are really awesome for later this year, there are longer bike rides. And it's one of those situations where if you remember your why for lining up that day, and why you're doing it, you're, you're going to forget about the others around you because that why is really specific to you and it's unique to you and it's special to you. So hold on to that and don't lose, don't lose track of why you're lining up on race day to do what you're doing because it's monumental. First of all, that you're even showing up and that I think that requires an applause, just showing up to the, to the start line because sometimes people don't do that. And that I think should be rewarded just as much as actually, you know, doing well during a race or a ride. Okay. So it's just a little bit of a mindset approach that, you know, you might just want to shift a little bit and just remind yourself like, Hey, this is why I'm showing up. 
I don't know what other people's stories are. I don't know what the context of their situation is, just like they don't know the context of my situation. And we're all towing the line for different reasons. And then have fun, you know, ultimately have fun. Stop, look at the vistas, look at the scenery that's around you and just remind yourself every once in a while, like, hey, I'm surrounded by beauty and just show a little bit of gratitude. And I think that any type of attitude of gratitude can really help shift your overall views of like, hey, I just need to kill this uh, to like, hey, I can kill this, but I can still enjoy the ride at the same time. Hopefully that helps. It's a really tough, tough one. I'm hoping in the next few months to actually have a, a sports psychologist on to talk about some things like this, because I think it's really important to talk about given the audience that I, that I have of mostly athletes and everything. All right. Let's see. Best pre-ride snack for mountain biking, just for a short ride, maybe a couple of hours long. All right. This is a really good question. This is probably one of the most common things I get. Uh, I got this actually from a couple different people. So thank you. What I recommend is mostly carbohydrates, especially if it's going to be a shorter ride. That probably means it's going to be a little bit more intense and carbohydrates are your friend. They're not, they're not the devil, like I've said before. So definitely use them to your advantage. Try to aim for, you know, a little bit of carbohydrates, but before, before a workout, you really want to minimize fiber and you want to minimize fats and preferably leafy vegetables. So any type of non-starchy vegetables, because the starchy vegetables, fat and fiber can actually inhibit, uh, the, the absorption of the carbohydrates that you need for that particular ride that you're, that you're snacking for. Okay. And this does actually apply to, you know, any sport really, that is going to be a little bit more intense like mountain biking. So CrossFit, a good heavy lifting session, things like that. Um, generally speaking, like rule of thumb, try to keep fat under 10 grams, preferably five grams if you can, but yeah, under 10 grams for fat, uh, you know, everyone's different. I'm just giving you a ballpark idea. A little bit of protein would be good. So maybe right around, you know, anywhere between 10 and 30 grams, depending on your tolerance level of protein, adding protein to the carbohydrates can also help you not have like a, a, a an intense, you know, insulin spike with the intake of carbs because before you work out, yeah, it's nice to maybe focus on a little bit more of a like a sweeter carb if you can mixed with something that's a little bit more of a complex carbohydrate. So the complex carbs will have a little bit of fiber. So that's why a touch of fiber is okay. But for the love of God, don't have like, you know, close to 10 grams of fiber because that's just going to be again, gut bomb. And I don't want you to rehash this have poopy pants before your training ride or a training session because that's just going to be miserable um but mostly carbs so i would say carbs you know and this varies person to person i'm just giving you a ballpark to work from but at least 20 grams of carbs preferably closer to probably 40 uh it just depends on kind of how intense it is and also when your last meal was that's going to be the the huge thing to think about when your last meal was is a make or break situation so before you actually work out a ride, I really do recommend ultimately two, roughly two hours before you go out for a ride, eat a meal, eat a meal, mostly protein, you know, balanced meal, protein, carbs, fats, things like that. Fiber's okay in that meal, but about 30 to 60 minutes before that workout. So two to three hours, have a meal about 30 to 60 minutes, depending on your specific digestive needs before that ride or that workout session, have a little bit more of a sweeter carbohydrate. So, I mean, case in point, sometimes I literally 
will eat golden grams with some Greek yogurt because Greek yogurt has a little bit of protein, keeps me satiated. And then the golden grams are just fun. Uh, or, you know, I'll add some blueberries, some honey. Um, it just all depends. Sometimes granola, which I know granola has a little bit of fat, but it doesn't bother me. So that's again, the key kind of like what I was talking about with Annie's question earlier with her training is test what foods work for you. Figure out what works for you and what doesn't and get clear on that. And that will take some experimentation. So I can tell you what to eat till I'm blue in the face, but what I'm doing is I'm just giving you parameters. I'm giving you a template from which to work from because we're each so specific that we need to then experiment on, okay, how, how soon do I need to eat that, that real meal before my workout? For me, it's usually about three hours, and then I'll have something a little bit sweeter, about 30 minutes to 60 minutes. I can actually get away with 30 minutes. It, it works for me. It's fine. I don't usually burp it up, uh, which I know, I can't believe I said that out loud, but you know, I'm just being real here. <laughs> like Burping is what will happen if you start working out, especially running, because that can be a little bit more of a jostle for your stomach and your body overall compared to biking. So with biking, I can get away with eating fairly close to a race or a ride and not having any type of negative impact for that, but really experiment with it because that is what's ultimately going to make a big difference for you is exploring the options, exploring like, Hey, do I need 30 minutes, 45 minutes, 60 minutes before the actual training ride or, you know, training session to consume the the little bit sweeter carbs. Great. Then, you know, and I mean, everyone's different. I'm I'm a little bit more, my body favors carbs and, you know, doesn't really do well with fat. Uh, my family, we have like some gallbladder stuff. So I'm just trying to avoid having a gallbladder attack. So I tend to eat a little bit lower in fat, um, but not super low because fat is necessary for hormonal needs. But because I do tolerate carbs a little bit better, I can get away with just having a little bit more of a carb centric meal before I actually work out a ride. So keep that in mind. Um, before the workouts, I'll usually do personally 20 to 30 grams of, of carbs, like simpler carbs mixed with about maybe 10 grams of, of protein or so. And just a touch of fat. Um, if even, you know, just from the yogurt and that's again, about 30 to 45 minutes before I actually ride and work out and it works for me. Now, if I know it's going to be incredibly intense, I probably will increase the carbs even a little bit more. But the meal before that, the real meal, two to three hours beforehand, that's when I'm really focusing on just keeping it balanced. You know, it, it does have a little bit more fiber, maybe uh, definitely has a little bit more protein. But other than that, it keeps me keeps me satiated and full. Oh, all right. Greens drinks, yay or nay? Uh, supplements. Gotta love them. Gotta hate them, too. Um, so the thing with supplements is they're supplements. They're meant to supplement your diet. They're not meant to be the staple in your diet. I have recently experimented with green drinks just because I do have a history of GERD and, you know, I just wanted to kind of see what they were like. And I did have clients ask me questions about them nonstop. So I figured it's, it's worth exploring and I'm all down for experimenting. So I experimented away. And, you know, for me now, my story can be completely different than what can actually be happening for you and your situation and what works for you and what's tolerated well for you. But I will go ahead and share. (laughs) I didn't have a great experience with green drinks and everyone is different. Now I know my coach, uh, shout out to Meredith. My coach is, 
also not able to tolerate green drinks as well. And, you know, there's a reason for that. It's because they're these pulverized, dried out greens that you're basically getting in a massive dose. And what was happening for me, speaking of poopy pants, <laughs> I wasn't pooping my pants, just to make that clear. But I was having really bad stomach upset to the point where I, I thought, oh my gosh, do I need to actually get, um, do I need to get swapped for COVID? Because I knew that that was a, a sign and symptom of COVID is just having some GI distress. Fortunately, I went to the doctor and I went to the doctor like two to three weeks after my physical just a few months ago and uh, told her, hey, I'm happy to see you again, and but not so much. And I was worried, you know, would it be COVID? Do I need to get swabbed? But I had no other symptoms. And she agreed. She's like, no, definitely not that. No need to swab. Uh, Just, it sounds like you just have a GI upset. You know, you might have the stomach bug that's going around because believe it or not, there was a stomach bug going around. And uh, it's one of those situations just to kind of ride it out. And I did tell her, hey, I'm craving some yogurt and things like that. But I was trying to avoid dairy since I know it can aggravate, you know, some, some things with, with the gut. And she said, no, just go ahead and, and have some yogurt. If your body's craving it, let, let's go ahead and respect that. And so I did, I went ahead, started to implement some yogurt and I immediately started to feel better literally within, oh my gosh, probably like just a couple of days. Actually, I think just one day in retrospect. But what I did is I I went back and I just kind of looked at my food journal a little bit and looked at what I was eating and the, the, the constant that I had in my diet were the greens drinks. And I had stopped them for a little bit. And when I had stopped them, it of course dissipated the, the achiness and, you know, diarrhea went away. And then I started to implement it again, because here's the thing is I was not craving vegetables, which is very unlike me. I just could not handle or muster the strength to eat vegetables. Like even my big ass salads that I love to eat, I just couldn't eat them. I was eating a little bit of vegetables in my egg bake every morning and things like that, but nothing crazy, nothing egregious, you know, but I just wasn't craving vegetables. Like literally the last thing I wanted were vegetables. So I did start to incorporate the greens again. Lo and behold, my stomach started to get upset again and started talking to, you know, my coach about it and, um, and said, look, you know, like just based on my research, I really think it's these greens. I think these greens are like just demolishing my stomach. Yeah. She actually has the same experience. Now keep in mind, this is all anecdotal. Okay. But you know, Hey, my N equals one, <laughs> like my number one is me. And that's not meant to sound, sound selfish, sound selfish or anything, but if I'm not feeling well, I'm not able to show up for my clients. I'm not able to show up for my partner. I'm not able to show up for anyone in my life. And that's just not how I want to live life. Okay. So lo and behold, I just went ahead and stopped the greens and yeah, immediately went back to normal, felt a lot better, felt a lot more energy. And overall, you know, I, I personally don't think that greens should be something that you depend upon is basically what I'm saying. If you have a hard time incorporating vegetables into your diet, then you need to find the vegetables that you like to eat. Stop trying to force yourself the vegetables that you don't like to eat. Vegetables are inherently bitter to the human tongue and our taste buds. So they're not going to be as appetizing as other things that we're eating like Oreos or something else. They're just not, it's not going to be nearly as appetizing. Okay. So keep that in mind and remind yourself that, Hey, you know, 
I need to find the flavors that I want to add to my vegetables. I need to find the ways to make my vegetables. I will say a lot of clients swear by their air fryer, especially air frying like Brussels sprouts. Uh, God, what else? People even air fry salmon and they say it comes out so well. I haven't bought an air fryer yet, but I'm going to. And you know, the biggest thing that they say is like, oh God, air frying, everything is so much better than steaming because it gets it a little bit crispy. And sometimes it's not so much even the flavor or the taste of the actual food that you're eating. It's also the texture. So keep in mind, the texture of the food is really important. So if vegetables are not appetizing to you, maybe it's time for you to just find a way to make them a little bit more appetizing. Add a little bit of fat, add a little bit of salt, uh, add some seasoning. I think we especially here in North America, don't really season our food very well, especially up in Canada. It is the blandest food I've ever had. Sorry, Canadians. I apologize. I love you. But I'm sorry, but it's just so bland. Y'all, you got to add some flavor to your food. Uh, Don't make your food boring. Add some seasoning. Flavor God is really good. They make some fun flavors. And uh, you can order a bunch. And usually they actually have a Memorial Day uh, sale usually every year. Really recommend Flavor God. Um, Really, you know, any type of seasoning from Trader Joe's. I mean, everything about the bagel, you can put it on everything. I love it. Uh, There's so many seasonings to try. And I think that seasoning and sauces are something that are often overlooked. And what's cool is these are the things that can vary your diet that much better and make you add the nutrient-rich diet or uh, foods rather into your diet that you want, you know, so more vegetables and things like that. All right. That's it. I had a couple of other questions, but I'm going to cut it close because we're approaching 40 minutes. So this is really awesome. I'm glad. I'm hoping that these questions and answers helped. If you have any other questions, hey, send me a DM. I'm probably going to start doing this maybe for one session every month or every other month. I don't know. I'm going to kind of play around with it and see how you all like this. But I appreciate you so much, friends. Really, I truly do. You help make this podcast and and just my life uh, a reality and you make it possible, which is awesome and it feels so good. So please subscribe to this podcast if you have not already. Share it on the socials. That would mean a ton because the more ears that hear it, the better. And definitely stay tuned for next week and I hope you have a beautiful day. <laughs>